Around campfires in the Maritimes, we always tell the tale of the Dungarvan Whooper. It's a macabre ghost story about a cook from the logging camps who was murdered for his bag of money and who haunts the forest making screaming sounds that sound like whoops. Then, at the climax of the story, some adult who'd snuck off into the woods while we kids were listening intently to the story would let out a blood-curdling scream. This campfire ghost story, however, was based on an actual series of mysterious incidents involving a whooping creature in the woods around the Miramichi in the mid-1800s. In 1896, big city reporters were venturing deep into those woods and came face to face with what was behind those blood-curdling screams. And their true story is much stranger than the ghost story. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes with your host and author, Andrew McLean. The mysterious events deep in the woods of northern New Brunswick began abruptly in 1869 in the forests of Clearwater Brook in the Miramichi area. They certainly began with a bang. The mysterious blood-curdling screams in the woods began immediately after the Saxby Gale. The Saxby Gale was a hurricane that blasted the Maritimes with 100 mile an hour winds and two meter high storm surges, dealing significant damage to the region. The Saxby Gale was named after Stephen Martin Saxby a British naval instructor who was using astronomical calculations and managed to correctly guess the storm's date down to the hour. For a year, he'd been trying to warn people about the storm, but nobody listened. It later turned out that it was just a really bizarre coincidence that his guess was correct. Storms couldn't be predicted using the calculations he'd used. However, to this day, the Saxby Gale remains the 10th deadliest hurricane in all of Canadian history. Shortly after the storm subsided, strange screams began to be heard in the forests of northern New Brunswick. People described them as sounding like whooping. In the five years that followed the Saxby Gale ripping through the region, the whoops could come quite close to the logging camps in the area. It was said that their presence scared the horses and even the tough lumberjacks who worked there. Few people in the region could write back then, so we're left with an incomplete picture of what happened. There were certainly vastly more stories of encounters with the whooper than there were written down versions of these encounters. However, one man did write down his personal encounter with the whooper. George Scott saw the whooper. He wrote that it stood upright on two legs and it looked like a man. He claimed to have been chased by it in the woods near the caves at the head of Clearwater Brook. While making his escape, he lost his coat. The people in the area thought George Scott was chased away from the whooper's lair. There was a series of caves the size of comfortable rooms linked by passageways at the head of Clearwater Brook. Five years later, the spring of 1874 was a particularly bad year for flooding and those caves at the head of Clearwater Brook were completely inundated. 
After the water subsided and the floods receded, the haunting screams ended as abruptly as they had began. The locals mustered up the courage to explore the caves. They were abandoned, but it seemed to have been lived in once. Inside they found the bones of small animals, there were scattered ashes from fires, and there were the tattered remains of George Scott's coat. And so that was the end of the whooper. Or so it seemed. Fifteen years later, there was a new generation of loggers working in the woods. This new generation thought themselves more sophisticated than their fathers, and dismissed the stories of some kind of screaming monster in the woods as old-fashioned silliness. They thought that the whooper was probably just an eastern panther. That changed when the whooper reappeared. It was the autumn of 1889 when the blood-curdling screams began to be heard once again echoing through the northern forests of New Brunswick. Although the old-timers claimed that the screams were the same, the location was different. Now they were around the Dungarvan, which was a stream in southwest Miramichi. Although the haunting screams were the same, the behavior was much different, and far more brazen. The whooper was now breaking into logging camps and cabins when people were away and making off with flour, salt cod, and pork. These are not the kind of things that eastern panthers tend to pull off. Particularly frustrating for the loggers was that the whooper was targeting their depot camps, where they spent the summer stocking up on foods for their winter logging seasons. Fear of the mysterious whooper and its ghostly howls spread, and people living in the area became afraid to go out at night. Old Tom Hunter wasn't scared though. He drove his cart and two horses along the Dungarvan after dark one late autumn night heading home, when blood-curdling screams pierced the still darkness. His horses were spooked and fell into the river, dragging Old Tom with them. As he tried to quiet his spooked horses, he heard a haunting, maniacal laughter ringing out. Old Tom Hunter concluded that God was punishing him for swearing. It was said that he never swore again. One year later, old Tom Hunter was making his way back home when night began to fall. Not wanting to risk another encounter with the whooper, he stopped to spend the night in an old abandoned logging camp. Knowing that the camp was home to many skunks, he lit a candle at the head of his bed to ward them off and went to sleep. Three times that night, old Tom Hunter awoke to find his candle gone. Three times that night, he lit another candle. The third time he awoke to find his candle gone, he saw that the door to his cabin was left open, the cold autumn winds blowing in. When old Tom Hunter went to check the door, he found that in the thin layer of freshly fallen snow covering the ground, there were fresh footprints of a barefooted human. The news of the human footprint spread quickly through the Dungarvan. Because of course, the idea that a barefoot human was roaming through the snow breaking into houses was vastly more terrifying than any eastern panther ever could be. 
as siege mentality began to take over, and every disturbance in the forest began to be attributed to the whooper. People barricaded their doors at night and became fearful of every strange sound. Hundreds of kilometers away, Frank Ristine was a Fredericton reporter who worked at the legislature. He was also an amateur historian and has been described as the father of New Brunswick tourism for his tireless efforts to promote the province. In a major coup, Frank Ristine had convinced a high-profile American reporter who worked in Congress in that nation's capital, named Frederick Erland, to come to New Brunswick to go fishing with him in the Miramichi. Frederick Erland was going to write a series of stories about his time in New Brunswick for his many American readers. Erland worked in Washington, D.C., which meant that some of the most powerful Americans in the country would read about New Brunswick. Frank Christine was very proud of himself for convincing such an influential American who walked that wealthy nation's corridors of power to visit his humble little province. The Fredericton reporter and his esteemed American guest, along with their two guides, plus a cook, made their way to the Miramichi through Dungarvan. Much to Frank Christine's frustration, the local people they met kept talking about screaming ghosts in the woods, breaking in and eating their food. This was most certainly not the image of New Brunswick that he wanted his esteemed American guest to see. Fortunately, the American reporter, as well as their guides and their cook, brushed off these stories as local superstition, and they mocked them with jokes. The five men made camp on the night of July the 12th in an abandoned logging camp in Dungarvan. Although it was the height of summer, it was an unusually cold night, so they lit a fire in an old stove in their dilapidated cabin. They were awoken in the night by a high-pitched scream in the cold darkness. Shaken, the men were unable to fall back to sleep. As they lay awake, they saw a shadowy silhouette darken the open doorway of their cabin. One of the men struggled to light a candle, and in the flickering flame's light, they saw an old man wearing tattered rags with long disheveled matted hair standing in their doorway. He was carrying an old rusty axe. Although, from the way he behaved, he didn't seem to be an immediate threat. The old man tiredly walked past them, up to their dying fire, and began warming his hands over its embers. The two astonished reporters, completely baffled at this bizarre development, cautiously and gently tried to question the mysterious man, but he largely gave incoherent replies, making loud noises and screams. However, this mysterious old man did know some limited and broken English words and phrases. Through a painstaking and time-consuming effort to elicit any kind of coherent answers from this mysterious stranger, the reporters pieced together bits of his story. The reporters gathered that he'd spent most of his recent life in the woods, that he had lived on a diet of berries, nuts, frogs, and birds. He carried with him a tattered Catholic Bible. When food was offered to him, he would make a Christian blessing in what may have been Latin, and then devoured the food as if he were famished. 
He was barefoot, but he carried a pair of boots slung over his rusty axe. However, the soles of the boots were completely gone. Who is this hermit? wrote Frank Christine. What was the secret of his tortured mind? How long had he endured the solitude of the forest without weapon, fire, or proper food? How had he survived the rigor of northern winters without proper clothing or shelter? The two reporters offered the stranger a bed, but he refused it and slept curled up in a ball outside their cabin on the cold ground. The reporters were convinced the old man was the whooper based on the sounds that he made. The next morning, the mysterious old man refused breakfast when offered and left barefoot, walking off into the woods. Before he left, however, he permitted Frederick Erland to photograph him. That same autumn, about four months after Ristine had met the whooper, he was seen again some 200 miles away in Upper Milnocket in Maine. A team of sportsmen hunting near a lake had stumbled across an old man in tattered clothes sleeping next to the dying embers of a fire. He had neither compass nor matches, axe nor blanket. The Mainers described him as a sad old man with stooped shoulders and a shuffling gait with a disturbed mind. He expressed to them that he had only eaten berries, frogs, dead fish, and grass for the past 12 days. The Mainers invited the Whooper to stay with them, and for several days he did. They fed him, clothed him, gave him money, and food. They also photographed him. The Mainers offered to take the Whooper home with them, but he indicated that he wanted to go across the lake instead. They paddled him across the lake, and he got out of their boat and began walking down a road. Silhouetted against the setting sun, the Mainers watched him turn off the road and walk straight into the woods. That was the last that was ever seen of the Dungarvan Whooper. Frank Christine wrote about his encounter with the Dungarvan Whooper, but he ultimately chose not to publish the story. Although he never quite made sense of what the strange encounter actually meant, he was certain that this was not the version of his province that the father of New Brunswick tourism wanted to portray to the world. Racine would later die in an accident four years later in California while promoting his beloved province, and his contributions to it would largely be forgotten. The more famous Dungarvan Whooper tale, the one which we still today tell around campfire stories about a cook from a lumberjack camp who's killed for his money and is screaming for revenge, seems to have appeared much more recently. It's thought to have become mainstream in the 1920s. The story was popularized by an American reporter named John Cogswell, who was known for writing lurid and greatly exaggerated stories for the Boston Post in the late 20s. The 1920s was an era of unprecedented prosperity in New Brunswick. The province was something of a tourism hotspot, but celebrities like sports and movie stars came to visit from all over North America to hunt and fish. This was largely due to the work of a very skilled New Brunswick tourism promoter named Doug Black. Black introduced many big-name American reporters to New Brunswick hunting guides who then published their stories. However, on his remarkably successful quest to promote the province, 
and make it into a destination for American tourists, he encouraged guides to greatly exaggerate. That's how Cogswell first heard the story, which he in turn exaggerated more into the story of the murdered cook hunting Don Garvin's forests. Today, Frank Christine's meeting a woodland hermit is just one of many versions of a story of these strange events attributed to the Dungarvan Whooper, which has fascinated so many for so long. However, it's one of the better documented possibilities for what was the screaming in the woods near the stream called Dungarvan. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.